Well, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. How many golfers do we have here this morning by raise of hands? Just please, if you're a golfer, put your hand. Oh, okay, not too many. Interesting. You notice that golf is expensive? You ever, you ever notice that? I walked into Golf Town this week, and I was met by a very eager salesperson. Look, sir, we have a sale here on, on all clubs except for Callaway and Mizuno, but uh, here's a fantastic Nike driver for only $659, and it's 15% off. Couldn't you guys pick a cheaper habit like heroin, like when it comes right down to it? Seriously. You know, I, I actually walked in to Golf Town. Get this, I kid you not. I walked into Golf Town for this reason. To get a rule book on golf. Not soccer, not baseball, not, not anything else, but on golf. You know what the guy said to me? Nobody's ever asked me for that before. This is Golf Town. You don't have the rules of your sport by which your store is named after. I couldn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> I was telling the staff what I'm talking about today. And Shauna Lavender wonderfully said, golf is 90, 90% of golf is making up the rules as you go along. <laughs> so, so I go online, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to check all the Indigo uh, stores or some chapters, whatever's around so I can actually go and buy a book on golf. And sure enough, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of books in golf, but no stores carry any of them. Finally, I started getting very humble and I started doing dummies for golf. Of course, I found one at the Indigo just over here. So now I have my own dummies for golf. I used to hate golf. I kid you not. I hated it. I was in Victoria. Actually, when I, the time that I lived in Victoria, the pastors actually had free golf uh, on Mondays of the week at one of the prestigious golf clubs until the Mormons showed up and they said they were pastors and it screwed everything else for, for everybody else. But, uh, but, you know, my brother's an avid golf fan and uh, golf player. And, you know, people would say, I could, I could have been on the most beautiful courses on the West Coast. And I just, you know, I just hated golf. I whack the ball, get in the cart, whack the ball, get in the cart, whack the ball, get in the cart. That's what I saw. That's, that was it for me. And I wasn't all excited about that. And then I got to thinking that anything that an 80-year-old man could beat me at is a game. It's not a sport. And, you know, if you can't break a bone, if you can't, you know, lose a tooth or you don't need stitches, then it's not a sport. That's, I just wanted to know that was my outlook on this whole thing. And have you ever watched golf on TV? How electrifying it is. It's second to curling. Right? Davis approaches the third green. Could people please be quieter? Trying to listen to the grass grow. We need the Mexican guy from the World Cup to do golf, right? Davis approaches the green. He's hitting the ball, he's hitting the ball, he's hitting the ball, go! Now that would be fun. You know, it wasn't until we started Seoul that uh, certain members of the steering committee who will remain nameless, Jake and Min, forced me, and I literally mean forced me, to play golf. They said if the, I wanted them on our, their leadership team, then I had to play golf with them. They got me some clubs. And I guess that for some, golf is some sort of strange bonding experience that people share together by being totally frustrated for about four hours. And these guys were better than me because, you know, the first time I played golf, I stayed in the water so long, I found a six-pound jackfish in my pocket, and I was in the woods, and I was getting chased by an eight-point buck. So that was basically my golf game, and I just was tired of all that. Now, it's funny because I was doing a whole lot of research and some history, and, and some say that golf relates back to Julius Caesar, and others say they can track back to the Song Dynasty in China, but that's not the golf as we know it uh, today. The roots of today's game trace all the way back to Scotland. I kid you not. And I'm pretty sure I knew how it all came together. This is my friend Gregor. He's wearing a kilt. What's the difference between a kilt and a dress, Greg? Like a kilt? 
You don't wear the underwear. <laughs> oh, keep, it, keep the kids on. Oh. And that's a nice puss you got there, my friend. Oh, my spawn. It's what? Spawn. Spawn? Yeah. Huh? I killed the rabbit myself. Oh, oh, you did. Good for you. So this is Greg. So the way golf came apart, after all my research, I'm convinced there are two Scottish guys, Gregor and this Ukrainian Scot right here. And they were sitting under this shady tree overlooking the North Sea at the corner of St. Andrews. And as they're looking over there, they had this drink in their hands, Grand Fittich. What's Fitch? It burns. It's whiskey, Scotch whiskey. I'm convinced they had too much Scotch whiskey at the time. And one said to the other, said, Here's my idea for a sport. Hey, yeah. Let's take a rock and hit it into a rabbit hole oh, with mean, a stick. You mean like pool? No, not like pool. You take a little stick and it's broken on the end. And you chase that rock down the lane and you put it in that hole. Uh, you mean like croquet? No, not like croquet. No, 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 no. You don't get it. I'll, I'll make that lane like a hundred yards down. And you take that stick and you whack at that rock until you pour it into the rabbit hole. A lane? Yeah. Oh, you mean like bowling? No, not like bowling. No, 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 no. I'll put stuff in the way. I'll put trees and bushes and we'll grow grass. Kind of like around the building here, you know, oh, the glass is really high. And, and you take a crazy stick and you rock and you go and you swing and you swing and you swing and you swing so much until you have a stroke. Huh? And that's what we'll call it. Because when you finish playing, you feel like you're dead. <laughs> oh. wait, 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 wait. I think this is brilliant. At that end, we'll take some nice green, real green grass. I like it. A small patch where a rabbit hole is all around it. Aye. And we'll put a little tiny red flag Ooh. right there. You're with me. Aye. And then we'll take a pool in the sandbox just before it, oh. just to drive you crazy. Because you get your rock up as close as you can and you get stuck in the sand and you swing and you swing and you stroke. Are we just going to do this game one time? No, we'll do it 18 oh, no. times. <laughs> and that, lords and ladies, is how golf was invented. Yes. <laughs> I wish I could wear a dress like that. <laughs> it's a kilt. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you. Did you know that athletic activities are mentioned uh, several times in the New Testament? Most of the references that we do find are actually found in the writings of Paul, which is not surprising because he was a Roman citizen. He knew what was going on in the culture around him. He, he had tra traveled widely. And it's clear uh, that he sought to use the metaphors of sports um, so that his non-Jewish readers can actually appreciate what was going on. And Paul uses athletics to set up um, parabolically truth, if I can put it that way, that uh, his uh, readers, uh, the people he would speak to, could identify with and, and catch on to. And he used uh, athletics uh, in his writings uh, and equipped them with the uh, greater game of life, so to speak. And a good example of this is found in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul writes of the spiritual disciplines and he's committed uh, the spirit and com commitment needed by disciple the disciples of Jesus. And he says, don't you know that the runners in the stadium all run the race, but one, only one wins the prize. Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown. But we, talking to the church, an imperishable one. Thus, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight as if I were shadow boxing. No, I drive my body and I train it for fear that having after preached to others, I should be disqualified myself. Corinth was the site of the um, Isthmian uh, games. There, I got it right. Uh, they dated back to the 6th century BC. So these things were going on. They were similar to our Olympics. They included several races. They included boxing, wrestling. They had different types of field events. And, and Paul emphasized the discipline of 
training, of focus that was required for those events. And he applied that to our spiritual life. He used the same basic metaphor, and when he wrote to Timothy, he told Timothy, train yourself for devotion. For while physical training is of limited value, devotion is value in every aspect, since it holds a promise of life for both the present and the future. In other letters, again and again, Paul referred to running. He referred to fighting, as well as wrestling and gladiating contests. So he was very well equipped with this concept of game and how it affects our daily routine and our daily spiritual life. The author of the Hebrews also drew upon a sporting imagery and, and basically exhorted us, the readers. He said, rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and, and persevere in running the race that lies before us. Uh, and that's a spiritual race of faith is what the author was talking about. And like Paul, he emphasized that the race can only be finished by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, that, that finish line. So this morning what I want to do is I want to actually attempt to compare the game of golf and church. Now, when I say church, I hope you're not thinking about the building or the institution. That's bad theology. When I say church, the church is you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. And so today's game of golf is about the church. It's about our Christian life, our Christian walk. And I found that there's some good ways to help illustrate how we should actually live our life uh, through this crazy game called golf. Actually, when you think about it, golf is this game that astronauts played on the moon. It's actually called the gentleman's game. Others have called it cow pasture pool. Um, just throwing it out there. Uh, hunters sort of poke fun at golfers because they'll say you can't eat that ball. And then a professional golfer, commentator, and author of Golf for Dummies, Gary McCord, he says that it causes brain damage, which I had to laugh because I believe him. Um, <laughs> but besides that, how many here actually understand the rules of golf? You understand the rules of golf. Okay, that's fabulous because I'd love to sit down with you because as I was reading the rules and I go back in my memory banks about playing with people, I could see how the rules are broken all the time. The rules are broken all the time. And I would venture to say that the majority of you have never read the rule books of golf and break many a rule, especially when you start with something called the mulligan. All right? Which is a free do-over, but it's not in the rule book. It's not. Many a golfer will use the word gimme. There are no gimmies in golf. It is not in the rule book. You know what a gimme is? Oh, it's so lame. And I, I play with my brother, and we have to actually lay out the rules beforehand. And, and he's all about gimmies. You know, gimme. On golf, it's all about grace. No, golf is rules. It's rules and regulate. It's Pharisee to the top core. We live by it. You wash your hands by it. A gimme is when you take out your putter, such as this, and uh, um, you, you take a putter and you're at the hole and you're on the green, and let's say the hole is like right here, and I take my putter and I just go, and it falls short of the hole. It doesn't go in the hole. Well, that's a gimme. No, it's not. You still got another stroke at least. What do you mean a gimme? I'm not going to give you that. That's my brother and me fighting all the time. There's no gimmies in golf. It's not in the rule book. Now, if you're not a fan of golf this morning, don't worry. I need you to work with me this morning because I trust that you're actually going to walk away with something that you can take home spiritually and actually implement in your life. Guarantee it. Now, Arnold Palmer said this. <laughs> golf is deceptively simple. And endlessly complicated. Thanks, Arnie. Really appreciate that. It satisfies the soul and frustrates the intellect. At the same time, rewarding and maddening. And it's without a doubt the greatest game mankind has ever invented. Oh, my goodness. That's Arnie, one of the best golf, golf players around. But there's so much truth in that statement. It's not an easy game at all. Uh, but it can be fun to play for many reasons. Uh, and one of the most beneficial reasons is that you actually can test your own personal patience level. And uh, your patience with yourself actually should increase the longer you play the game. Now, 
to sit and to watch pro golfers hit that little ball around and, and actually put it right where they aim it. Is, it looks easy, but it's not. It, it's not easy making a little ball go straight. Or in a moment of frustration, you can actually find out that you can probably throw your club further than you can hit a ball. Trust me, I know, I know. But in the same way, our Christian lives um, can have times of frustration, right? And when we don't seem to be making progress, when we don't meet, seem to be making spiritual growth in our lives, in our Christ-like attitudes, golf is not that. Um, in our witnessing, wow, All right? Uh, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves like a frustrated golfer, just swinging away and having no idea where we're going to end up. Isn't that interesting? And I can tell you with confidence this morning that that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to have confidence and he wants us to have assurance in our Christian lives. He really does. That doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. There's this myth that, you know, if I become a Christian, everything's going to be easy. No, that's a myth. Uh, In fact, I can tell you there will be times of trials and there will be hard times. Scripture just says that. But our faith can stand strong and our witness can shine through and we can grow through adversity. And so this morning, I actually want to share some ideas that I believe will help your Christian journey. And I'm going to use the golf lingo, if you'll at least give that to me. But I'm going to apply it to our Christian life so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So subsequently, since starting um, Seoul, yes, I, I took on golf. I took on a sport that I didn't think was a sport until I decided to actually walk 18 holes at Olympic View Mountains in British Columbia. I couldn't sit for three weeks after that walk, I'll tell you. I prefer the cart. Um, but uh, yeah, just having to learn the basics of the game. And, and most people do not buy a rule book before they go out on the golf course and read the entire rule book because when the original rules came out, by our Scottish friends, it was literally only 300 and some odd words. It was just a half a page. And now it's volumes, you know, because the Americans got a hold of it and they just like blew it all up. That's just the way it is now. But it's very detailed. It's, it's very precise. And in golf, there's a lot of things that every person actually needs to know. And, and to be honest, I don't even know all of them. I, I couldn't even get through golf for dummies. I don't know what that says about me. But, you know, let's, let's take a long shot, and I'm going to give you the best that I can. But I, I've narrowed it down to what I, I believe are the fundamentals. The fundamentals that every golfer has to pay attention to, but also every believer has to pay attention to. And the first one is the golf course. Where do you golf? Now, it's funny because when we went to BC uh, this um, past while, uh, we have very good friends, and uh, I brought my clubs because I went to go beat my brother, <laughs> and I did on his home course. But uh, we were with uh, some other friends, and I said, oh, well, let's go play some golf. And, and then what I found out very quickly is that there's good golf courses and lousy golf courses. There's pristine golf courses and miserable golf courses. But you know what the issue is, is that the golf course is a game of life. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It literally is the game of life. Life is played on a course. Golf is played on a course. It's a prescribed course. uh, Golf is very different from football or from hockey, you know, both of which uh, their playing surfaces are just a flat surface. Someone has to lay out a golf course. It's built on natural terrain. There's tons of dirt, stuff's moved. Like I said earlier, trees are planted, grass is there, lakes are made, sand uh, is brought in, creeks are rerouted, and it's all to suit the architect's fancy, the creator. And when it's completed, there's, depending where you are, there's hills, there's valleys, there's dog legs, there's blind shots, there's traps, there's water hazards, there's trees, there's underlating greens, and the most dreaded Part of the course is the out-of-bounds. And life is like this golf course. It's unpredictable. It's changing all the time. It's affected by the wind, the rain, the heat, the snow. It catches us by surprise. And sometimes when we move along and we think that we've done something awesome, we've made a great shot, only to go to find that we've either lost our ball or even a more tragic event in life catches us off guard. So that's the course. Now, the rules of golf um, are similar to our rules of life. Now, it's hard to to play a game when you don't know the rules, right? And it gets actually quite frustrating when you don't pay attention to the rules. But rules are important. 
Abe Mitchell, he, he was a British champion, he said this. The sum total of the rules of etiquette in golf is thoughtfulness. Interesting. And I learned very early that you have to play by the rules. You don't make up your own rules, right? It doesn't work that way. Golf has rules. Life has rules. And in our Christian walk, we also carry around, and I struggled with, with, with this terminology, but it, it, it does apply. We do carry around a rule book we call the Scriptures. It, it sets out the rules for life. It sets out the guidelines, the boundaries that we do to walk this game of life. Now, the major rule of Gaul is, is that you need to use a club to hit a ball. A club, a ball, and uh, I find it interesting because the ball becomes the entire mission of the game. And the ball is your precious. So precious, in fact, there are those who will spend on just four sleeves. They're called sleeves. This is a sleeve. This is a box, but they call them sleeves. I could go to Golf Town and buy 12 balls for 60 bucks. That's Somebody's getting robbed. I agree with you. It is a steal. Now, or I can... Uh, Go to Walmart and get 60 balls for $24.95. So what do you think the cheap pastor does? Yeah. Do I spend some crazy amount of cash on some balls? Just 12? Or do I go cheap on the other hand because, you know what? I'm going to lose precious. I know I'm going to lose precious. As a matter of fact, golf is based on you losing precious to keep this whole insidious industry going. It's the way it is. And if you golf, you can only carry 14 clubs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and my cheater chipper is not in there. So there it is. There's more, but they only say you can four. And, and you have to tee up behind these things called markers. And, what, and again, these tees are these little pieces of wood that you put your golf ball on to make it high and pretty for some reason. And then you also have to putt out which means there is no gimmies in golf, people. You putt out. And uh, you don't ground your, your club in the sand upon the address to the ball. There's all this crazy lingo. Uh, you know, and until you know and you start asking questions or you read the rule book, uh, you have to play by the rules. And the Bible is the Christian rule book. It's the Christian's handbook. And, and, and you know, just as golfers need to stay out of the traps, as they call them, they're along the landscape of life. You and I, we are, as unsuspecting people, we're faced with traps all the time. That's life. When we begin to look in the scriptures, we see that Samson in the Old Testament, he was in a trap before he even knew it. His trap was, uh, he was caught up with sexuality. You know, uh, other traps that we find in life is addiction traps of any kind, alcohol, drug, porn, whatever it is, and you know, um, many people obviously never even dreamed that they would find themselves in these traps when they started the game of life, right? Running with the wrong company is a trap. We read that when we read through the book of Proverbs. There's, and the list is endless, but one thing for sure, anything that takes us away from God, now hear me carefully, anything that takes us away from God is a trap. And the golfer has to watch out also for these other things called out-of-bounds. Usually they're marked by little white stakes. But in the game of life, to disobey God's clear commands is also to go out-of-bounds. Because God sets up boundaries, guidelines. And many a times, we are like golfers and we have the ability, if we want, sometimes we stray by accident, but sometimes we deliberately move out-of-bounds. And Scripture is clear on what is considered to be out of bounds in many areas of our lives. But do we take that in? 
Likewise, if you're on the green, that little beautiful, beautiful piece of grass with that little red flag right in the center. You know, if you're on the green, there's a, there's a reflection of etiquette that has to take place as well. There, the green is, is, is vital to the entire game. Etiquette is invited, uh, uh, vital to the entire game. Golf is called the civilized of all sports, which is kind of funny. But the player with the lowest score on the previous hole receives honors. You have honors, my friend. Oh, at the next tee. The person who is the furthest away after everybody has shot is, is disadvantaged. <laughs> they're the disadvantaged player. They get to go next. And everybody else laughs at them because their tee shot was so horrible. Trust me, I know from personal experience. Likewise, when you're on that green, though, the unfortunate, as they call them, the unfortunate person is the one who, who has the longest putt. They get to actually putt first. So if you're on a green and you're putting, you can call that other person with the longest putt unfortunate. You are unfortunate, sir, please. Go ahead. Finish the game. And you laugh hysterically at them as they do. But again, when you take a look at golf, much of the rules that are put in there are to build courtesy, they're to build fairness, and to build honor. And good golfers are aware of those when you're playing golf with them. They, they do the little things that aren't caught by the less gracious players. You know, so if you're golfing with me and it's a bright sunny day, a less gracious move when somebody dresses their ball to putt in the hole would to have your shadow of your head right on the hole to affect their putt. I don't know how that happens. I blame it on the sun personally, but that's the way. That's being less gracious. Or, or by not walking in front of their ball and imprinting your 200 and 48 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal into the hole as to affect the putt that they are about to go through. Again, classless, rude. And uh, that's not what's supposed to happen in the game of golf. Last week, you know what? And I find this all the time. I go golfing by myself. I shoot my best games. You know what? And it's God's joke on me. I'm convinced because then the next time I'll go with somebody and I, and I just stink the joint out and I'll go, you know, I got a birdie on this hole here. And they go, yeah, yeah, you just got a six, you know. And, uh. So I, I practiced good etiquette on the golf course last week by myself. I couldn't blame anybody else. I stroked up to the tee, placed my ball, took out my driver. I looked down course. It was a par five at Killarney. Um, I think it was a 14th tee, if I remember correctly. I lined up my shot. I looked up. I didn't see. I was basically the only one on the golf course that day. I kid you not. Middle of the day. I love it. I love the heat. I love the heat. Remember, you pay to go to Mexico in the other times of the year. Mexico's here now. So I love the heat. And so I line up, and I take my stance, got my thing, and I wind up. And I go to town, and I hit the ball, and all of a sudden I realize I'm in trouble. Actually, I'm not in trouble. You know who's in trouble? The greenskeeper. So at this particular hole, it, there's a hill that goes up and then goes down, and it's a par five, and it's really long. It's like 500 yards. I don't know. It's, just, it's the longest hole. And here this guy on this little tractor comes bombing up over the hill. I've already completed my swing. I've already did. So there's this rule in golf that's called let's protect other people for, you know, for the namesake. It's called four. And you yell four. So here I am yelling four, realizing he's on a tractor, and he's listening to music. <laughs> so he comes whipping up over the hill. I've already hit my ball. You know, and it's, again, this is God's humor. The best drive I've ever had on this hole. And not only does it end up landing at the top of the hill and just sort of rolling over, and some of you who have been on this hole know exactly what I'm talking about, but this guy actually had to practice evasive maneuvers on his tractor. And I, I sat there after, I just waited for it because I felt so bad. I go, dude, so, I am so sorry. What? <laughs> you know, I'm so sorry. Because um, you have to apologize when you almost hit or kill somebody on the golf course. And he goes, I, I, I said, I didn't see you. He goes, I didn't see you either. I go, you not only didn't see me, you didn't even hear me, but you saw that ball coming straight for your noggin. So that's just the way it is. And, uh, uh, the fact is, though, rules are good. We need those rules. And as a Christian, we have the word of God that teaches us what God's rules are for our lives. We need to get into God's rule book, people. 
And just as the rules of golf make an enjoyable game, the rules that God has written down in his word are enjoyable also. It's life fulfilling. And I think sometimes we have it in our minds that the Christian life is not fulfilling. But it is. And as we read scripture, we see that God has written his laws on our hearts. And we know the difference between right and wrong. And we are without excuse. But we need to get into scripture. We need to do that. Because that is part of this game called life. That is part of this thing called discipleship and following Jesus. We need to know what he's thinking. And so we got to take that rule book in our life. It's, it's like on Thursday nights during the rest of the year we have celebrate recovery. And, and there they are. They're studying what? They're studying scripture. They're studying these steps to freedom, to, you know, to liberation. And, and uh, you know, you, you can study and see that you can be free from the things that, that, that chain us down. And God puts boundaries around us and he ordains us for certain things. But we have to break sometimes those chains or they can crush you. And we can crush ourselves through our own disobedience from God's playbook. And the crazy thing about this is that the choice has always been yours and mine. God doesn't force us. So as Christians, we need to get into the word. We need to develop that. We need to know what he says to us about what does it mean to really live a holy life in this game of life. What sets us apart? What makes us different? How can he use us for his glory? And of course, there's a lot of people who know what the rules are. Right? But they choose to live according to their own set of rules. Rules that actually, when it comes right down to it, just sort of caters to their own selfishness. And, and, and one thing you need to realize is just because you don't agree with God's rules doesn't mean you, you won't be held accountable to them. We pick and choose our faith in today's day and age. And there's a day coming when the king of kings will come and, and he's going to come in his glory according to the scriptures. He, he will come for his church. Not this building. He's coming for you and for me. He will also come to judge the nations. Where do you get that, Jerry? It's at the end of the book. And every man and every woman will give account on how we have lived our life. And we'll do that before God. We're accountable. And the standard that, that King Jesus will use to make his righteous judgments will will not be up for debate. You're not going to be there going, uh, can I hold you, you know, can we look at it this way? You know, you don't have to be able to go, you won't have an opportunity to go to the Supreme Court at that point. He is the Supreme Court. His standard for truth will be his word, what he has laid out, and you have his word available to you today. That's the beauty of it. You know, you have it in your phone. If you don't have the app, you have it in your person with a book, and if you don't have a Bible, Tell us. We'll gladly put one in your hand. It's that easy for us. And there's no plea of ignorance or, in, uh, uh, or insanity at this point in time. Know his word. As believers, as followers of Jesus this morning, know his word. Keep his word. Know the truth. And, and Jesus said, you, you know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. Who doesn't want to be free? Right? Hebrews 4 says, The word of God is a living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. It's crystal clear. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because an extension of the rules are the clubs. You've got to think about that. The clubs that you are given in golf. Now, there's various clubs for various distances. This is the driver. It's, uh, this is actually an interesting driver. It's an eight and a half. For those who are in golf, yes, I have an eight and a half. Uh, it keeps, that means the loft stays long. It doesn't go high. Just the idea is to pound the snot out of the ball and uh, just drive it as far as you can. Um, the other, the shortest distance is the putter. And then you have all these other clubs in between. And like I said earlier, the legal rules of golf are 14 in a bag and no more. Um, the one thing I forgot to tell you about, especially when you lose something, when you lose precious, you need one of these. Now, this is a small one. It actually, uh, if I was to open it up for you, because um, I was looking at Golf Town for, for these. These are called ball finders. So when you put your ball and it f falls into the water, as per usual, like for a person like me, uh, you would take out your ball finder and then that way you find your precious and you can keep on playing. 
But if you don't have a ball finder and you can't reach your ball, you sit there and you whimper for about five minutes and you just look at your ball and then you move on and you pull out another one and you begin to play. So that's, that's basically what the ball finder is. Now, I just want to say this. Golf Town sells these ones at 16 feet for 50 bucks or you can go to Walmart for five. The choice is yours. It's all right there. Um, I, I'm just still bugged that Golf Town doesn't have a rule book. I tell you, I, I couldn't believe, I was actually heckling the guy the entire time that I was there. But there's, you know, and it's interesting, the, the, these different, the, the, yeah, the pastor heckles. So these clubs actually are different. So in here are a five, six, seven, eight, four, three, nine, and what is known as a sand wedge. Not a sandwich, a sand wedge. And uh, so our worship leader this morning, Dwayne, yeah, he's, he's fun to play golf with. He takes his sport seriously, and he looks very pretty on the golf course as well. Um, I had the opportunity to play with him at a course called Pleasant Valley. This is years ago. And uh, so Dwayne is, you know, he's, he's pretty put together. You, you, of course, you look at it. He's just a wonderful guy. He's put together. And uh, he even had these little rubber plastic, rubber heads that would fit over his, his golf uh, irons. These are called irons. And had the number on them. And so I'm playing with the, and remember that whole golf course etiquette? Yeah, that doesn't apply to me. So uh, I was, I, I was no, noticed this in his clubs, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So when he needed his seven iron, maybe he, you know, Dwayne, how far is your seven iron shoot for you? How many yards? Sorry? I didn't hear that. 160. Oh, wow. You got, see, my seven iron is 140. So um, anyway. So he's a 160, so he's about 160 yards from the pin. He'd pull out his 7-iron, and he would take it, and he'd, he'd go, and he'd just give it a really nice swing, and the ball would go the yards, basically, that he would hit, and he'd want. And I was playing against Dwayne, and it's always competition when two golfers are on the table. And when Dwayne wasn't looking, I began to switch the heads of his clubs. <laughs> Remember that, buddy? <laughs> so we're going through these holes, and he goes, goes, he doesn't look at his club. He looks at the cover. And so he looks, he picks up what looks like a seven iron, and he thinks he's going to hit 160 yards. It turns out to be, let's say, a five. And all of a sudden, that ball rockets over where he's going. He can't figure it out. And what he tries to do is, instead of checking the club, he's trying to adjust his stance and his swing. I'll tell you, I never laughed so hard until I found out. Uh, you were ready to kill me, I think, about at the end of that game. But uh, your stance in golf, I have to say this, is the foundation. Your stance in golf is the foundation of what it's built on. And once you have a golf club in your hand, it's how you set up for that is, is what's so important. Now, many people don't realize that... Uh, um, most golf fans are Mike, Michael Jackson fans, and they wear one glove, which I couldn't do that. But I've, I've real, realized that your foundation is the most important thing, and how you hold a club is, and how you set up for the shot is the most important thing. And the first thing you need to do is understand what your grip is. And if your grip is wrong in golf, nothing else matters, which I did not know until I actually started taking golf lessons. And I realized my grip was really tight because I would hold on so tight because I was afraid of losing the club. And the one reason why I was afraid of losing the club, and this is no lie, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, a friend of ours took a golf club in the forehead because the person who was swinging let go. And to this day, he's got an indentation of uh, iron in his forehead, which, is, which has always been on the back of my mind when playing golf. Can't lose. So out of frustration, I throw my club. That's a whole different story. But when swinging, your grip was everything. And I used to hold so tight. And then I realized that different players had different grips. There was a long thumb grip, a short thumb grip. Not that you care. There's the Varden grip, the interlocking grip, the 10-finger grip. Uh, the, the, just get a good grip. That's all you have to do. But uh, you can fake anything else on the golf course, but you can't fake the grip. That thing falls you right to the grave. And it's so important. That's why guys wear gloves. If you're right-handed, you wear it on your left hand because you don't hold tight, you let the club just rest nicely in your hand. And this 
glove, the one that you wear, helps give you grip. Interesting. I did not know that. So, uh, and again, you can buy all sorts of books, but not at Golf Town, but you can buy all sorts of books <laughs> that will help give you different types of tips and some fundamentals about the game. And uh, in golf, your stance is important. And in my book that I purchased called Golf for Dummies, um, says that a square stance is essential. And your feet need to be lined parallel, and you'd have the ball here, and your feet need to be lined parallel to your shoulders. And, uh, uh, and then... Uh, they, you'll see golfers do this. That means if your toes are going that way and if you can put a club, that's technically where your ball should be going. So if your feet are like this, the ball is going to go that way. If your feet are like this, the ball, you're in trouble. I'll just say that right now. So technically, now golfers have all had to adapt according to their swing and everything else, but your feet should be such as that. And I thought that was quite interesting. And uh, you know, once I remembered what parallel meant, I was in very good shape, you know, to go, to go from there. And so for the Christian, again, our stance, our foundation is so important to our Christian life. Let me just say it that way. The way we stand, that we need to make sure that we're lined up properly so why? We can be effective and we can grow as believers, as followers of Jesus. So the Christian needs to have a foundation for success. And this comes through discipleship. And discipleship is your spiritual growth, and we all need that. And uh, it, 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 it's learning to worship. That's why we gather together on a Sunday. It's learning to worship God. It's becoming involved in ministry, the ministry of the church, ministry of serving the community. It's about ministry. It's about giving of yourself. It's about establishing your roots. So why? As Scripture says, so that we can stand firm in our faith. What does it mean to stand firm in our faith? Well, let me tell you a secret. You can't disciple yourself. That's the nature of our culture. We want to disciple ourselves. We, want to do, we don't need the church. I can do whatever I want. The fact is, no, you do. You need the church. You need each other. We don't disciple ourselves. You don't play golf by yourself unless you're like me. And you can cheat with nobody looking. It's a joke. Okay, sort of. No, I'm confessing. You don't play golf by yourself. You play it as a team. Life is a team sport. Church is a team and that's what we need to do. And God has instituted his church, his team, to be witnesses to the world. We need each other, and the world needs us. Are you tracking with me? We are his vehicle to win the world. And as a Christian, this relationship with God needs to be nurtured. It needs to be talked uh, to, talked through. There needs to be regular prayer time. This is the foundation that I'm talking about. Um, and uh, you talk to him. You share with him. You, you, you listen to him. And that's what we call prayer. It's simply talking to the one who loves you more than you will ever know. And realizing that he has placed his ambassadors around us. He has represent, representatives around us. So that we're all in this together. The foundation for our spiritual nourishment, we need to get into, his, into the word. We need to get into his playbook. You need to feed your soul. You need to feed your mind. God's word is light and life for the believer. And for the believer's kids. I cannot push how important that is. And I did last week. I'm not going to go there again. But it becomes our greatest joy when you see it come alive, not only in your walk, but in your children's walk. We need that. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand truth. He is our counselor. He is our teacher. And we do it together in this journey. We do it in life group. We do it in coffee, over dinner, over lunch, on a Sunday, at the prayer time, Whatever it is, we need each other to make this happen. We need the church family that will love you, that will encourage you. You saw the ad. We want to start making some, some meals. We need, to, we need to connect and communicate and um, minister to people in our com uh, community through meals or even to pray for you as we do every week when you put your requests on the cross. This church needs you. This community of Soul Sanctuary needs you to be involved to use your spiritual gifts to benefit our body. It's interesting because that's why we have growth tracks. And in August, growth tracks are going to be narrowed down. For some of you, when we first started out, we did growth tracks. It was four weeks, and it was a long four weeks. We're coming to the place now we're going to do it on three Sundays in August. If you haven't gone through growth tracks, if you want to know more about what this church is about, if you want to be equipped 
with uh, uh, some tools for your basic discipleship. If you want to understand where your own personal uh, style of influence, or some people will say your gifting is, come to Growth Tracks. We've narrowed it down to three on Sunday. And so in August, you saw it advertised. After the gathering, uh, you'll meet, and our team will take you in one hour. So three hours uh, total, three Sundays total, but one hour after the gathering. So you're out by noon on a Sunday. Go through the growth tracks, especially if you're new, especially if you're checking us out, because that will begin to fill in all the pieces. Um, in business, you learn that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. In church, that shouldn't be the case. And actually, we, we're doing the math, and we don't see that the case. But for many churches, that is the case. I want to challenge you. If you're not already involved in ministry, you need to be involved in ministry. In a day and age where we fail to recognize the importance and the value of foundation, it's service. It's commitment. It is being devoted to the one that we put our faith and trust in. And of community, there's this discipleship. It's doing life together. You know, this week we had, or last week we had uh, a number of people in, who serve in our church. And this is what we're doing. If you're involved in uh, certain ministries, you're getting invites to come to our house. And we, we're just connecting people and bringing people together and, and sharing the vision and where we want to see us going in the fall. And it's beautiful because... There are people who have been coming to our community. They've been here for four years or even more, and they were meeting people that they didn't even know. Wow. We have a lot of work to do. We, we, and and it's, it's up to me, it's up to my wife, it's up to our staff to, to get this ball rolling, to get this vision connecting so that you catch it and you're on fire and you can spread it. You know, we need to do life together. That's why we do our weekly gatherings. We pray together. We encourage. We worship. We learn scripture. That's what it's all about, people. I can't emphasize it more. The next thing is about your swing. (laughs) Get your stance. Get your grip. My wife is nervous. So, if you know the rules in golf, you keep the rules. You can have a perfect stance in golf. You can, but if you don't master your swing, you'll never be the kind of player you need to be. A lot of guys say well, when I go golfing with them that, that I hit the ball like it's a hockey puck. <laughs> That's usually the, the comparison to go. And it's interesting, if, if I was to invite 10 of you here today um, who've been playing for a while, and I would ask you what's the most important thing about your swing, uh, I would get 10 different answers without question. And because there's so many different things to remember uh, about your swing that it's mind boggling. First, you have your club, then you have your grip, then your stance, and you keep your left arm in as straight as possible, and you tuck it over the right elbow next to the body, you keep the club surface face to the head, right? And, and you, you got to go over it again and over again, and if the wind comes or if there's a bug and it affects your mind, your concentration. I can't tell you the proper way to swing a golf club, but I can say this it's important. <laughs> That's, that's all I can get. And, and that really helps, doesn't it? It's important. You get up, you address the ball, and you pretend, you know, and again, my golf teacher said, brush the grass, 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 brush the grass. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> well, that was a nice one, wasn't it, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Four. <laughs> yeah. In our Christian life, the most important aspect in our relationship with God is like the swing. The most important aspect in our relationship with God is Scripture, and it comes up very clear in the teachings of Jesus. It's your love for God and your love for people. That's our swing. And I've been stressing this over and over again because God has reminded me over and over again that this is the key to a winning team, our love for God and our love for people. That's the key to a winning team. And one thing that drives your Christian life is the direction that you're supposed to go is your love and your commitment to God, and it's related in the way that you have love and commitment to other people that God has placed in your life. Your love for God keeps you in line. It keeps you in prayer. It keeps you in the scriptures. It keeps you in the relationship with him. 
Why? Because your love is a choice, is it not? You choose to love God. And I'm not talking about emotion because emotion is, is a part of any loving relationship. But first you must make a choice to love God. And then when you do, God begins to pour his love uh, into your life. And you will have no choice when God begins to pour his love into your life to love other people. And that's how it comes together. And to love God, listen, is to love people. And the, also, uh, the, the opposite is also true. You're not going to be able to love the way that God wants you to unless, you, unless God's love is evident in your life. And that happens when you open up your heart to God. And it happens when you open up your heart to other people who need to know God. And the only way to play par golf or the best golf or better is to have mastered that swing. And I'll say it this way, Soul Sanctuary, the, the only way that we will be able to make that kind of impact, the only way we'll be able to make that kind of difference in Winnipeg for Jesus is through our love for God, but our love for other people. And do we really love other people? Do you really want to make a difference becomes the question. Do, you know, because I do. I want to make a difference. I want to be a catalyst to see other people make a difference because we need to share with people with what God has done for us. It brings up Romans chapter 10. It says, as the scripture says, anybody who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Isn't that a beautiful assurance to have from God? For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all, richly blesses all who call him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without, somebody, without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent as it's written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My friend, we are the ones who share the good news of golf. And God calls us to approach, to stand, to make it happen. And some of you are going, uh-oh, he's going, but this is it. Approach golf like this. If I have my love for God, my foundation is firm, I need to get that message out to a world that's waiting. And I sliced. Do you understand? I don't think it could be more clear. You know, this week, pray that God would open doors of opportunity for you to share God's love to other people. I don't know what to say. Just, hey, how's it going, Eh? And they're going to, our culture, people dump it. Oh, life sucks. It's hard. It's hot outside. Oh, really? I didn't notice that. Life's hard? What's, well, what's so hard about it? Well, this is a, can I pray for you? Wow, it's that easy. You know what they may say? No. 99.9 people say, Okay. But then it begins to lead to questions. And you don't need to have all the answers. And once you've mastered that right swing, once you've made contact, you with me, you tracking? Once you've made contact with that ball, what are you going to do next? You follow the ball. <laughs> no matter where it goes, that's the hideous nature of this sport. It goes, you just keep doing it. You keep moving forward. In golf, you approach, you take time, you do your stance, you do everything. You're on this course. The course has all these different obstacles. But the fact of the matter is you've paid good money, not only for your clubs. You've paid good money for your ball, unless, of course, you've gone to Walmart. Um, but you have. And so you get up, you get there, you do it, you swing, you shoot. And you, what do you do next? You follow your ball. And you do it all over again. And it becomes natural, and you make mistakes, and you do some slicing, you do some hooking, you do some dribble, you throw your club every once in a while. It's good for the soul. <laughs> but you do it, and you follow the ball. You're moving forward. The process is the same concept in our spiritual life. Listen, we need, as believers, to keep moving forward, to keep moving ahead. I love what Leonard Sweet said. He said this, where did the church get the notion that you can follow anyone, much less follow Jesus, by staying in one place? I love that. Standing in the status quo and not moving forward. That's why I don't even, <laughs> this is, uh, he's talking about words here. He goes, that's why I don't like believer. You can believe and not move. You can only follow if you move. I got it. 
So who are we following? Are we following Jesus? If so, are you moving after him? You know, I was trying to do the analogy, can I make the ball uh, a Jesus metaphor? And I thought, no, because we keep hitting him. And I thought, that's just not cool. But, you know, are we moving forward in our process or are we standing still? Golf, you're constantly moving forward. Spiritual life, we're moving forward. We're following. Discipleship are all words that are used in Scripture to describe what? Our walk. Our walk with God. Moving forward. It's growth. There's that metaphor in there. You're not stuck in a bunker. You're not stuck in a sand trap. Although they do come our way, and we have to, with God's help, get our way out. But you still, you have to, even in a sand trap, even in some sort of bunker, you grab the appropriate club. You grip the club properly. You take that proper stance, that firm foundation, and then you give it a swing. (laughs) Right? And you follow through. You follow through and you chase your ball again. That's the discipleship metaphor. Now, again, the golf's not meant to be played alone. You can't do it alone. You need two or more players. You can do it alone, but it's not meant for that. A lot of people think I'm nuts when I go golf by myself, but to be really honest, the reason I do that is that I actually completely clear my head. And the only person I'm playing against is me. And so if I can do that, I'm okay. But I love going out golfing with guys it's, and, and gals. Um, I've tried to get my wife to be my caddy. <laughs> you know what a caddy is? <laughs> um, they're the people who watch those who golf. Um, you know, when pros play, they, they have caddies with them, which is interesting. And the caddy carries their clubs. The caddy could give advice on the course. The caddy cheers the player on. I, I need that for my wife. Um, but one definition of a caddy is great. It says, one who who's, who's walks stride for stride with the golfer, giving advice, consoling, and inspiring. Now, depending on who you're golfing with, they can be inspiring or devastating. It, it, it all depends. But... Oh, as a matter of fact, one golfer was totally devastated by having the worst game of his life, and he came to the 18th green. He said to his caddy, you see that, you see that lake next to the green? Yeah, when this is over, I'm going to go drown myself. And the caddy looked at him and said, you can't. You keep lifting your head. So caddies are great people, <laughs> right? You can find golf jokes online. I didn't know that. <laughs> In the Christian life, there is, though, and here's, here's the analogy that is beautiful, there, there is one who walks stride by stride with us. There is one who does carry our burden, our load, right? There is one. There is one who is there, who, who is there for consoling, right? There is one who is there for inspiring and for encouragement. And the answer is yes, it's the Holy Spirit, right? He's there. The Greek word for comforter is parakletos, which means the one who come, called alongside. And so in this game of life, people of... We all have a caddy. We have somebody carrying our burden. We have someone giving us advice. We have someone cheering us on before the Father on heaven. We have the Holy Spirit who is walking with us. You're not playing alone. And finally, there's a scorecard, which is quite interesting, because in golf, the scorecard is a must, and without it, there's no calculation as to the success or failure of the round. You'll notice those are John Evans' hands on that scorecard, and in there, you'll see my brother's number at the top and mine, which is substantially lower at the bottom, and that's a good thing in golf, because it's the least amount of strokes on a hard course, and uh, he conceded at the 18th hole. So this year, I have beat my brother two games to one. And I'm the youngest. But it's a scorecard. The scorecard's really important. Without it, there's no calculation. Without keeping score, there's no record of success or failure, right? There's no evaluation that does take place on a round. A scorecard, you count all your strokes, and you add them up at the end of the game to see how you finished. And uh, uh, all of the professional golf tours, they're very formal when it comes to a player's score. This is what I am told by my friends like Rick Jobs and Dwayne Fair. They, 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 they let me know this. They, the scorers have to go into the tent, and they have to get their scorecard signed. Is that correct, Mr. Mr. Jobsy. Right, yeah. Major tournaments have been lost because a card was turned in and it wasn't signed or it had the wrong score. If you think about it in our spiritual life, and this is interesting, that to even a greater degree, our score is being recorded in this game of life. Paul told the Roman church, he said, so then each of us will give account to ourselves to God. Interesting. Now, I don't say this to guilt. I say it to share this is the fact. And, and all... 
sometimes we hear the news that somebody has altered a set of books, right? We, uh, or a set of records, they end up going to jail or to court. Uh, that will not be so when it comes to the record that we face when we each stand before God. Hebrews 4.13 is, tr- is true now, and it's even much more true on the day when our scorecard will be pulled. It reads, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Again, it's talking to the church. It's talking to us as believers. All of us have posted some bad scores in our life, have we not? And perhaps I'm speaking to many, uh, a few today who haven't, you know, you're not ready to have <laughs> your, your record pulled, so to speak. You, maybe you're ashamed of what you've become. Listen, I have good news for you. I look through scripture and I see this is a message that we have heard from him and we declare to you that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Look what it says. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, God can wipe the card clean and give you a new one. But only he can. My advice is that I hope that we put up some great scores before we get in heaven. Our scores won't save us. Our works won't save us. But they're a source of joy when our card is finally pulled. When we stand before the Father in heaven and say, hey, look at God, this is what I've done with my life. You know, what I'm talking about when I say uh, our faith in, in Jesus is a commitment to grow and to move forward. This is where we're going as a church. Growing in knowledge is the only way we're going to get to know God. And Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi while well, he was in prison. And one of his prayers, he says this, hey guys, listen, I'm in chains. And if I could do one thing, it would be that you guys would love each other. That's all I want you to do is I want you to love each other and I want you to grow in the knowledge of, your, in the knowledge of him uh, and that you guys would keep growing and keep learning. That was what Paul was writing to the Philippian church. And it's pretty simple that today I'm going to ask that you here Soul Sanctuary would commit to that, that you're going to hear me unroll the vision of soul in the next few weeks over the summer. And it's actually very simple. And I want to just give you the hint and here it goes. It's no God, no freedom, no your purpose, make a difference. And I'll be expanding on these as we go on this summer. And some of you may say, well, I've never done that before. Well, I'm going to encourage you to take some time and make a commitment to connect with God. And to grow, come talk to us, make an appointment with us. We'll gladly do that. And then for those of you who feel that it's very important for church to be a place that is stable and comfortable and predictable, I think Soul Sanctuary will make you increasingly uncomfortable. Deep in our DNA... And we're in the process of rediscovering it, is exploring and trying new things. And we assume that there will be some days maybe that we should have crawled back under that rock. But it's okay because we'll learn from it. But we will expose ourselves to new ideas and new forms. And they may not be popular. But we will continue to become all things to all men so that by all means we might save some. That's the church. Dwayne, if you and your team can come forward, because listen, soul is not about us. It's not us about you know, coming and being comfortable. It's not us about having our needs met in a nice little Christian bubble, because most people who have criticized the fact that we even do secular music here at Soul have never brought a non-believing friend or family member. And it's not about us hiding in our own little world with our own little language, with our own little style of Jesus junk. It's about making this place where the lost brother, remember? The lost brother from last week comes and finds a way home. And so deep in the center of soul is this divine DNA where God is speaking to people and he's asking us to talk with people. He's asking us to serve people. He's asking us to tell others about him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to just go and do it and celebrate. How? Just by moving forward. That's it. I don't think that's too much to ask. Why don't you stand with me, please? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity just to gather and the joy of being part of something big and beautiful. 
I thank you for the songs and the way that we expressed this morning just of how much we love you. And, and as we dream over this summer about your plan for us as this church, make it clear, make it compelling so that we will see and understand what we are a part of. Not just on a surface level, but we want to swim in the deep. And thank you for being with us every step of the way. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for blessing those receiving a blessing did likewise. So here it is, Soul Sanctuary, brothers and sisters. As you journey on this golf course of life, may you embrace the rules that lead to a firm foundation. May your love for God keep you in line and your love for people be evident for all, to all. And finally, Remember that you do not walk this course alone, but you have the one who walks beside you and that he carries your burden and he gives you advice and he's cheering us on before the Father in heaven. Isn't that good news? So now go. Love God. Love the people. Live the church. And we'll see you next week. Be blessed.